be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. And you know what, Jason? I'm feeling a little optimistic this season. You know why? ACC teams are favored in seven of the nine currently scheduled bowl games. How about that? <laughs> so last year was a disaster, and this year we're favored in seven out of nine. Unfortunately, we don't have the 10th game when we can talk a little bit about that one, but fingers crossed, fingers crossed, we can come out of this. How about with just one victory? How about that? Maybe, maybe two, at least come out with two victories this year. Well, even one would be an upgrade from last year, but you alluded to the 10th game that of course is Wake Forest who Texas A&M has COVID issues. They will not be able to field a team and be playing in that Gator Bowl. So Wake is scrambling for an opponent, potentially some five and seven team. I was hearing even Marshall, who will play in their second bowl game, potentially. That would be interesting. Either way, it will not be a high caliber opponent like Texas A&M, even if they get one. But we do. You know, one one name to keep an eye on is actually Coastal Carolina. That's a name I've kind of heard. It's under the radar that possibly could. uh, I mean, I'm sure they'd love to, you know. One kind of really unfair thing about this is that Wake won't get the 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 payout if they don't play in the Gator Bowl. I think it's like three point five million dollars or five point three million dollars. It's a lot. So to lose that would be devastating. So I mean, I think at this point they you know play Meredith you know all girls school just to if nothing else just to get that that payout. But uh. Definitely interesting, you know, and, and, you know, we're obviously we're ACC podcast, but the whole thing, man, about CFP games could be decided by forfeit. I mean, that would be the biggest disaster. The NCAA could, I I don't care if you had to, you know, postpone them till summer, you got to play the games. I mean, can you imagine, you know, let's say Alabama gets, has COVID issues and, and then so it's like Cincinnati and Georgia gets Cincinnati versus Michigan and then Michigan get, gets COVID. Cincinnati's national champ without playing a game. I mean, granted, that's a lot of ifs. But the fact that they're even allowing for such a scenario is a complete total debacle, in my opinion. Yeah, they're going to have to adjust some sort of um, rules in terms of how they handle game cancellations, even how they handle protocols. That's maybe we'll get into that next episode when we talk about wake, but what we got five games. So we'll kind of early, you preview the early um, portion of bowl season. We'll preview those first five. And then the next episode comes Sunday, we'll preview the next four and hopefully wake found an opponent. So we start with Boston college at ECU. This is the infamous military bowl. Um, Boston College, three-point favorites, and ECU, like a seven-and-five American team, just kind of mediocre, not uh, overwhelmingly going to glare out at you. But this is also – remember, this is an ECU team that fought hard with Cincinnati, and and they probably fought harder with the Bearcats than a vast majority of the teams Cincinnati played. So 
I wouldn't sleep on the Pirates if um, I were Boston College. It'll be a tough game, right? Like I said, they're only three-point favorites. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting line. Obviously, you know, uh, that line reflects that Phil Dracovic is going to play, and every indication says that he will. Great news for the Eags is that they are going to get Zay Flowers back. So I would imagine he plays in this game. And I think it's it'll be, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Like you said, it's basically a kind of coin flip game. But one, one uh, thing we've talked about a bunch on, on previous award-winning podcasts is that this bowl season really allows you to have a kind of a springboard to next year. And this is important for the Eagles. You know, Jerkovic missed so much of the year. You know, he came back, had that inspirational win, and then it was really rusty. Kind of the wheels fell off after that. And then there were some pretty poor performances. Can he come back and, and build back some of the – get some of that game rep in and kind of build back the chemistry he had with Zay Flowers before the injury? And, you know, they, they had guys like Trey Berry, the, the All-American FCS tight end that they brought in. And he really – you know, there was like a couple of big plays – very early on in the season and then Jerkovic went down for the injury so he really never built a rapport with him obviously they have Garwo at, at running back and maybe they, they can kind of get that you know dominant offensive line reestablished. it's going to be an interesting matchup because like you said ECU is seven and five team but they they do fight hard uh Holt Naylor's is a pretty good you know quarterback for the Pirates kind of a nice story because you know, he's from Greenville, and then he actually committed to ECU, which is in, in Greenville, North Carolina. So it's not just a, a, you know, home state guy. It's a hometown guy. Started out his career kind of, with, you know, like gangbusters. He was going to be this really, you know, unbelievable, almost Tebow-esque, you know, left-handed, also running quarterback, kind of a little bit stockier. Kind of did remind me of Tebow a lot. And just hasn't panned out, hasn't progressed as much as maybe, you know, some of the experts thought. But he's a gamer. He's, you know, he's tough. He's gritty. And it's, it's going to be a dogfight for the Eagles. I actually worry a little bit more about um, Boston College defensively in the run game. I think ECU will probably try to create a lot of explosive plays on the ground because BC secondary has improved a lot this year, but they've struggled to defend the run and uh Keaton Mitchell I think is his name very good running back for the Pirates he has over 1100 yards this year on 6.4 yards per attempt but the reason I actually have Boston College minus three in this one is I think they will look to capitalize on takeaways ECU has lost 11 fumbles this year and thrown 11 interceptions so that's almost two turnovers per game it's been a problem for ECU all season that's actually kind of those turnovers and special teams was how the um the Cincinnati game got away from them so definitely the reason I, I think ball security big plays could turn the tide of the game and that's why I had BC minus three in this one yeah you're right uh Mitchell's a good running back for the Pirates uh this is kind of goes back, you know, talking about the turnovers kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the somewhat lack of progression with Holt Naylor's the quarterback for the Pirates through 10 interceptions this year. So can they keep it on the ground, kind of a ground and pound the over under kind of 
insinuates that, right? We're pretty low over under, what was it, 51.5 or something like that? Um, but I'm with you. Uh, I've been, I can't hype the Dracovic hype train all year and then hop off during bowl game. So I'm going to go with the Eags minus three. All right. So we're in agreement for the first game. And then let's go to the 28th. That's Tuesday of this coming week. And that's Air Force at, or versus Louisville in the first responder bowl. Just a um, little news on this one. Jordan Watkins and Jalen Marshall, two of of Louisville's top receivers are in the transfer portal. So a receiving room that already lacked production is getting a little thinner, a little bit of concern, but I mean, initial takeaways, Air Force versus Louisville. Obviously we know Air Force runs the triple option. Contrast in styles, right? Like Louisville's very explosive. Air Force gets sustained drives. I think they were actually second in the country in time of possession. So what are we thinking? Well, I think it's going to have to be, you know, just kind of the way it was down the stretch. If the cards are going to pull this game out, it's going to have to be the Malik Cunningham show. And he's going to have to basically pass the ball, run the ball, throw the ball to himself, catch it, punt return, kickoff, do the kickoffs. I mean, I don't, you know, kick field goals. I think he's going to have to do everything because, you know, anytime you're playing a service academy, right, they're going to be disciplined. They're not going to beat themselves. Yeah, they, you know, Hazik Daniels, at quarterback, he's he's thrown for less than a thousand yards. So, I, you know, as you mentioned, it's a triple option type um, type offense. That's always hard to prepare for. Now, at least Louisville gets a little bit extra time being bowl season. So maybe, you know, um, they can just be a little bit more prepared uh, for because it's always tough to get them on a, on a short week or a regular week. Uh, I mean, them meaning a triple option team. Uh, keep an eye on our, our guy, Marshawn Ford, for the cars at, at tight end. Can he make a big play? Can he have, you know, can he dominate some of the little bit more undersized Air Force defenders and, and especially down in the red zone, give Cunningham a, a big wide target to throw to and maybe instead of settling for field goals, cards come away with touchdowns. The reason I'm actually worried about Louisville in this game I watched that Kentucky game and I think we might see very similar things, right? Like the power run game, just a long day, cannot stop it, get exploited by those zone run schemes. And it was very similar against Kentucky, just ground and pound and the linebacker, uh, I'm sorry, the offensive linemen would just have their way, pave some space and go untouched for five, six yards and then break tackles for even more. And I think, Louisville's going to be tested a lot on their discipline in this, right? It's it's a kind of different concepts because Air Force is triple option while Kentucky was like counter runs and misdirections and such, but it's the same concept in terms of whether you have to stay gap sound, make your tackles, stay disciplined. And that's what worries me about Louisville defensively actually more than anything in this one. And that's why I think I'm going to take Air Force plus one and a half. Yeah, you know what? I couldn't agree more. I just don't see this Louisville team being able to remain uh, disciplined enough defensively to just keep with the triple option. The triple option is just, it's, it's like one of those water tortures, right? Just chips away at you, chips away at you, and then the, the dam breaks. And I, I just see, 
it, too much uh, of the of the ground and pound, too much of you know the the running game, and you know eating up the clock, limiting Malik Cunningham's touches. I'm going with Air Force plus one and a half. I think yeah, the contrast of styles is crazy. Like Louisville, in terms of percentage of their yards that come from like explosive plays, is top ten in the country. And Air Force is bottom 10 in the country in that same stat. So it's like Air Force is getting five, six yards every play. Louisville is going to have a lot of three and outs, but then get that big, those big hitters. So it's. Yeah, I mean, it could, it, you know, it maybe it harkens back a little bit as far as contrast to styles to Wake and Army earlier this year. Obviously, Wake is a much more explosive offense as far as points per game than Louisville. And Army's probably, you know, a little bit better than Air Force, although I can't remember who won that game. I think Army won uh, when they played Air Force, but I think it went to overtime. Don't quote me on that. Um, yeah, Army won. Army won 21 to 14. Really? Was it in overtime? It was, yes, in overtime. Okay. So, yeah, I remembered it right. Good. Proud of me. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, – I'm just not sure – you know, especially, like I said, if Air Force puts together some, you know, 8, 10, 12-minute drives, especially if they come away with a, a touchdown, it's just going to, you know, does Louisville press? They already have wide receivers out, like, like you mentioned. Does Cunningham turn the ball over as he's trying to make a play because he, you know, feels like he has to kind of do it all himself? Definitely going to be a, a tricky game for the Cards. Okay, let's move on to the game that I think is my favorite of the five we're previewing today, and that is UCLA and NC State, the 8 o'clock primetime game on Fox, the Holiday Bowl. It's actually in San Diego, so actually Petco Park where the Padres play. So I think we probably have some UCLA home field advantage built into this line where NC State is one-and-a-half-point favorites. Yeah, I mean – UCLA's had a pretty good year. They've um, they've played some, you know, tough teams. They're eight and four. Um, and obviously NC State finished nine and three. Dropped a couple that they, if they could have gone the other way, they probably would have represented the Atlantic in the ACC championship game. Good news for Wolfpack fans. Dan's already picked you for the ACC championship game next year. And of course you'd know that if you were in our, Shameless plug, Discord, but I digress. Back to this game, though. Uh, you know, it all starts with uh, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, DTR, quarterback for UCLA. Over 2,400 yards passing, you know, 21 TDs, only six interceptions. And he's obviously a threat on the ground with uh, six, over 600 yards and, and uh, nine touchdowns as well. And, of course, the Michigan transfer, Zach Charbonnet, 1,100 yards, 13 touchdowns. So kind of gets it done, you know, in the air and on the ground for the Bruins. Um, Bruins are looking up, definitely trending up, and I can definitely see why this game was only a, you know, NC State minus, would you say minus one and a half point favorite? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tight one. I think um, I'm worried about the main, my main concern with NC State is DCR has got a freaking cannon. Like, that's he struggled early on freshman year, but the, the one thing that stood out, the kid's got an arm and now he's refined and 
his deep passing is one of the best in the country. So those isolated matchups UCLA, UCLA will try to create with those NC State corners, they might have matchup advantages. And that's what worries me a little bit. But the over-under is 59 and a half. I think NC State will be able to score as well. And I'm actually going to take NC State against that spread, minus one and a half. And the reason is I think NC State's offense could compensate. UCLA is secondary. You look at the numbers. They were mediocre in, I mean, a Pac-12 that they didn't have as good – they might be similar caliber overall as the ACC, but their quarterbacks certainly weren't as good as the ACC. So if your secondary was had pedestrian numbers against Pac-12 competition, I think a quarterback like Devin Leary with all his receivers running it back and all the momentum they have in their program – I like NC State minus one and a half. I think they'll have their way offensively, although I do worry about their defense and their corners on the outside, especially. Yeah, I mean, Devin Leary, rock solid year. We talked about this preseason. If he stays healthy, the the pack do well, and he stayed healthy this year, and they did well. Uh, probably, you know, Wolfpack Nation will have wanted to do just a little bit better in a couple of those games that went went the other way. But you're right, you know, Kyle Phillips for the Bruins on the outside. But this is, to me, is the X factor is uh, Greg Dulcich at tight end. Really, really like this guy. Um, You know, I I remember watching him earlier this year against Oregon. And uh, I just like, I I like his catch radius and, and I like his, you know, route running ability. For that reason, I'm actually going to go Bruins plus one and a half. You know, like you said, maybe slight home field advantage. Um, but if if the Wolfpack won, it, it it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think, honestly, that's probably an appropriate spread. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it at one and a half. I actually saw it at one earlier today, but one and a half is where most folks have it now. So we'll, we'll take one and a half. I'm still taking NC State. Yeah, I feel like the over is, is a decent play there. 59 and a half, I, I just don't see either defense just locking the other one down I think there's some points to be had here for sure and of course there's the NC State fluky secondary touchdown I'm sorry special teams touchdowns um that's true they led the ACC in special teams touchdown as we know from who wants to be a zillionaire (laughs) Um, and then let's see all right let's move on we got SMU at Virginia this one I mean, if we're, we talked about scoring in UCLA, NC State, I think there's going to be a lot of scoring in this one, 71 and a half over under. Not only is Virginia, we know about them, right? Very prolific passing attack, very bad defense. SMU kind of served the same role in the AAC. We might turn into like a the, the BYU game. Um, UVA will have Jason Beck calling plays, though, their, their quarterback's coach, who's now going to be their interim offensive coordinator, a good chance to see what he could do because I think he should be the OC in the future full time. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you points. If you like defense, keep, keep changing the channel when you get to this one, because, you know, obviously we talked about Brendan Armstrong a lot this year. I had him as my fantasy quarterback. He nearly led me to the championship before I fell a little short, almost single-handedly because the rest of my team was pretty mediocre. But 
you know, he's going up against another quarterback, a former Oklahoma guy, Tanner Mordecai, who's put up great numbers himself, over 3,600 yards and 39 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. And, you know, interceptions a little high, but um, they're really going to be, you know, getting it done through the air. And I think I think both teams are going to kind of just be trading, you know, just toss the running game into the river. We're just going to sling it, you know, 80 times in this game. Um, it's important. I don't know. Is is Rhett Lashley coaching the, the Mustangs? I can't remember. Not in this game, no. Not in this game? Okay. So that would, that would have at least been interesting. So Yeah, because he's got some fam- familiarity with the UVA and how they run their offense – or their defense, I'm sorry. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I, I know Miami ended up losing to UVA this year, but they should have won. It was just a, a doink field goal. Um, I, I guess I, I would be concerned just from a, a coaching perspective with SMU, you know, obviously losing their head coach and they're bringing in Lashley, but he's not in yet. So there's a little bit of a continuity uh, issue there. I guess for that reason, um, I'll stick with, you know, Virginia. I, I'm not, I, I don't know that there, there's so much coaching uncertainty on, on both sides as far as continuity goes, because obviously Bronco Mendenhall uh, stepped down for the Who's and, and Tony Elliott took his place so that's a a big question mark you always get into that with some of these bowls like who's going to play who's going to coach you know which team cares which team doesn't so really just a coin flip for me here and and I'll go with the who's minus two and a half yeah a lot of this is about who cares and who doesn't care I honestly think UVA might be caring a lot in this game because a lot of players are hitting the transfer portal but saying they're still playing in the bowl game so that means that this game means something to them. And that's why I'm going to go with um, UVA minus two and a half as well as you. And um, I think Billy Kemp will be out for UVA. They still have plenty of options at receiver because I think Jelani Woods will be playing. For SMU, they're missing their top two receivers, Reggie Roberson and Danny Gray. I think both declared for the NFL draft. So I don't know. This game like kind of lacks the intrigue in the – lack of coaching continuity and the some of the stars are out but there's you know, one, one, I mean one kind of not talked about aspect of this type of game is it, it's the Fenway Bowl meaning it's being played at Fenway Park obviously home of the Boston Red Sox both teams not overly accustomed to cold weather games so we'll kind of have to keep an eye on the the AccuWeather forecast right and see you know what what it's going to be cold. It's going to be snowy. It's going to be windy. And, and which of those teams can kind of deal with those elements? Oh, yeah. Somebody who goes to college in the state of Massachusetts, I don't know whose idea it was to have a late December game at 11 a.m. in Boston. And you, 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 you live there, too, so you know all about that. <laughs> that I have, yes. Uh, a wild uh, schedule, to say the least, yes. But anyway, um, we got another game that's kind of similar. I guess it's a little bit better in New York at 2.15 p.m., but this is the, the pinstripe ball at Yankee Stadium, and that is Maryland and Virginia Tech. Um, uh, another chance for J.C. Price, but – and I know, like, Virginia Tech had no business winning the Virginia game but did it for no other reason but the fact that Virginia Tech just always beats Virginia. <laughs> This team just 
it has a whole new vibe, but I'll, I'll give you my full thoughts in a second. I want to hear your take first, but significant opt-outs for Virginia Tech, Trey Turner, Amari Barno, Jermaine Waller. Um, they won't even be having Braxton Burmeister. I think and maybe Taj Bullock starts. So I, I don't – I'm not seeing how Virginia Tech wins this game. I'm already – I'm already going to tell you, I'm taking Maryland minus three and a half. Yeah, I mean, that'll be my pick as well. I mean, because – you know, I think I've mentioned this. I think I mentioned this last pod uh, when when Braxton Burmeister went down in the Boston College game and they brought in the backups. It they were just terrible. And now you're taking away big play Trey as well. I just I don't even see the over under is 55. I don't see how you know they can combine for 55 points. I like the under there and I like the Terrapins. You know, obviously Tangvaloa. You know, Tua's younger brother had a pretty good season kind of started out like gangbusters and then and then faded once he got to a little bit you know tougher competition none of the wide receivers Rakeem Jarrett's probably their best one who you know a little bit over 700 yards and five touchdowns but none of them are, are world beaters but I just don't know how if the Terps can put up any sort of points if how uh, the Hokies can can catch them. I mean, maybe they could get some sort of special teams play, you know, go old school, uh, old school Virginia Tech, special teams and defense, that lunch pail mentality. But I don't know, you know, Bur- with Burmeister gone, I-, I thought maybe if he played, he could maybe make some plays with his, his legs or, you know, maybe get, get some good throws here and there. Without him, I just don't. I just don't see it. I, I I like the Terps here. If there's any reason Virginia Tech wins the game, it's because their entire program has completely just the momentum has completely shifted due to the new head coaching hire. But yeah, Tulia breakout season. Um, I noticed his style is very similar to Tyler Van Dyke of Miami, who put up pretty big numbers against Virginia Tech. Then again, he put up pretty big numbers against a lot of teams. But I. I don't know. Three and a half seems very low, almost suspiciously low. I, th- I would put the spread almost at like five and a half, six, which makes me, it's so suspiciously low. I would even second, second guess myself against actually <laughs> betting this game, but classic paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Vegas loves the, that by the way, Vegas loves it. <laughs> um, but I'll take, yeah, I'll take Maryland. Hope Virginia tech ends up pulling it out, but I, I'd be just, interested to see how they end up doing it like how it gets put into practice maybe maybe Taj Bullock is shows something that he's worth in the future but I just doubt that's the case yeah I mean like like I said we you know I talked about Knox Kadem being um really kind of abysmal uh when the time that he had played I just don't know I I know J.C. Price had that magic you know, versus Virginia, but that's an in-state rivalry and both teams hate each other. This kind of game, I just don't know how he comes up with that magic. You know, I just don't know if there's enough pieces on the field. Uh, Like I said, unless they can get something fluky, uh, a blocked punt, a kickoff for a touchdown, interception for a touchdown or something. I just don't, I just don't know. And, And like I said, 55 seems, seems much too high for me for the over under. Then again, we are talking about the same um, 
Maryland team that lost a lot of Big Ten games. They almost lost to Illinois. So, like, it's not a – they almost lost to Indiana. I mean, it's not a phenomenal team, but um, definitely – I mean, would you agree the best of these is definitely UCLA, NC State by a wide margin? Yeah, I mean, don't I wouldn't sleep on SMU, Virginia. I think that could be an offensive shootout. The fact, though, that the Mustangs don't have uh, Reggie Roberson, he's such an integral part of their offense, he's, and, you know, he's um, such an explosive playmaker, it, it might drop that one down. But, yeah, as far as just – sheer you know dogfight you know Dave Dorn versus Chip Kelly chess match definitely going to be probably uh, my pick for game of the first half of the ACC Bowls well we will um I guess actually by the time we record our second episode we still will have not seen any of these bowls yet but just wanted to divide it into two because let's get off for the night and uh watch them actually I think Virginia Tech Duke basketball is going on right now it's tied at 15 at the um, under 12 timeout so that'll be an interesting one see if Virginia Tech could pull off some magic man is the ACC bad at basketball this year but <laughs> that's that's for another time that's for another time as far as this is concerned remember we're still favorites in seven of nine um, ACC bowl games so let's let's win some of those and get some momentum for the conference in football because it was the exact opposite this time of year last year so we'll see. And um, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we'll be recording before Christmas, but if not, um, Merry Christmas to you guys. And uh, just appreciate your support as always. Thanks for listening. Join our discord. We'll leave the episode, uh, leave the link in the episode description. So please join us there and uh, join our community, our growing pipeline community. But that's all we got. So once again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC podcast.